Fellas, I hope you are well. Welcome to another episode of Modern Masculinity. And today is another absolutely fantastic conversation, like all of them. And if you guys are enjoying these conversations, please reach out to me. Come out and find me on social, LinkedIn, Twitter, email me, you know, shoot me a text, whatever it is. Just let me know what's resonating with you. I'd love to know because I can understand or I know what I am getting from it, but I want to make this show not about me. The show is about you. And so let's build this together. Today's episode is with Dustin Reichman, and he's someone who actually interviewed on a variety of shows, but this is the first time we got to have a conversation about this, about being a man, about being a father, being a husband, being a provider, about living in a world where people are living in a world where being a man of faith is stereotyped in a way that it's kind of weird. It's kind of strange. And regardless of what you believe and what your religious beliefs are, what I love about Dustin and his background is that he is grounded in a sense of purpose. Whatever you attach your purpose to, that's your choice to make. But I think that in a world without that grounding, in a world without that purpose, fuck, that's what things get crazy. Like when we don't have something to hold on to, when there's not something, and it doesn't have to be this overarching kind of, you know, dictator-like anything, but if the, but that we have something that we that we root onto, that's going to create an entirely new level of peace in ourselves, and that's going to be able to allow us to bring so much peace to our kingdom, to our family, to our community. And so if nothing else, you know, as we're going through today in today's conversation, think about that. Like what is grounding you? And there have been times where I haven't been grounded and I was looking for something and for everybody it's different, right? They've got to find their own thing. But with that being said, I think that this is going to be a much needed and necessary conversation for you. I know it was for me and I'm excited for you to meet us. This guy's this is Dustin Reichman. Welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, where we delve into the depths of what it means to be a man in today's world, and we explore the real life challenges and triumphs that you and I face every single day. My name is Hector Santhia Esteban, and I come with no answers, only questions for some of the most wise, insightful, and grounded men that I know. So get settled in. You're listening to Modern Masculinity. Dustin. My man, welcome to the Modern Masculinity Show. How are you? Doing awesome, Hector. Thanks for having me here. It's going to be fun to dive in and have a little different type of conversation today. Yeah, you've been on my Marketing Your Podcast Show, which is now rebranded to Podcasting Success Secrets, and we talked all about that. You've been a guest on a number of our shows that we produce, but now I get to have a conversation with you about perhaps the realest and most relevant topics, which is being a guy, being a man, being especially in today's world. So the first question that we always like to start off with, though, is what's real for you? What's a current challenge or struggle or something that you're currently going through with regard? to fatherhood or husbands or running a business, all of those things. Yeah, I would say top of mind, and you may hear them in the background because they literally just arrived home from school. But yeah, so I'm on the older side of some of our generation as far as I had kids fairly young. And so for some of my age, I'm kind of approaching empty nest time with my oldest. We have three kids, 18, almost 16 and 12. And so the 18 year old, that's really the clear and present challenge. It's trying to toe the line between commanding respect and like having healthy boundaries in my house and still being the 
leader, the alpha male, but also realizing that he's 18, he's going to be autonomous. He's going to want to do some things his way too. And that's tough. That's real tough. That's definitely been the toughest challenge so far as as he gets older, that continues to just evolve as like a different type of challenge. There's a lot of dynamics there. Like I feel like it's less about, and maybe this is my ego. Like I feel like it's less about respecting me. It's a lot of times it's about respecting his mom, my wife. And like, Hey, you know, you may be 18, but I still rule the roost sort of thing. And so we do deal with that on a pretty regular basis. I'd imagine the word that came to mind, and I don't know if it's like a battle, but I feel like it may be some opposing energy. What's that been like? Because you seem like a very, at least outwardly, a very calm, cool, (laughs) collected guy. So take us into that, though. Yeah, man, it's definitely been my one of my very few sources of kind of rage that have come up, to be honest. I don't know if I've ever raised my voice to either my girls that I can recall. Maybe a few times if they were just being really dangerous or something, I'm like, yeah, trying to really get their attention, but never out of just frustration and anger. Also, I don't know if I've ever really done that with my wife. I mean, I'm sure we've had arguments. I've been frustrated, but he's pushed some buttons that are new to me where it's like, and I think what it is, it's more like if another guy came into my house and was disrespecting my wife in front of me, like that triggers me. That has a lot to do with my childhood and some things I dealt with growing up. So like logically I can separate, that's my son. He's not intending to be disrespectful, but he's just naive most of the time. But that's a trigger. That's a major trigger point for me. And like, that's never really happened to me, but now it's happening within my own family. And again, it simmers down. It's like cool the next day. So I don't want to overstate. It's not like there's people walking away bruised and bloody, but there's been times where it could, it could it's approached that a little bit of physicality, like you're going to calm down and get in your spot and have your role in the household. Like I said, that's been difficult. I think it's natural though. I mean, to an extent, obviously everyone's got a different personality and they have different ways of leading a family and different ways of showing up as a son too. But I don't have the right quote, but there's a quote that effectively says when they're Three, you can't imagine life without him. By the time they're 18, you can't imagine them still living with you sort of thing. Like there's a reason there's an empty nest. They're supposed to leave. And these conflicts, I think, help prepare you for like, hey, they need their independence. We need our independence. There's a reason they don't live with you till they're 40, hopefully. So Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We did an interview with J. Laura Norris, and I'm not sure if it's already came out or where it'll come out around this, but we talked about that dilemma that so many let's call it modern, young people these days are dealing with. And the parents are in this new situation too, where, you know, I have a brother who's 25. He lives at home. He doesn't really pay rent. He kind of pays some bills. But on the other hand, my mom or my dad is not really, they're not really forcing them out either. Like some generations did when they turned 18, it was like, there was the door. So how are you guys navigating that new world? Yeah, I think we're, Definitely more old school. <laughs> and we were high school sweethearts. We got married when I was 21. My wife was 20. We had him and my oldest son when I was 25. So yeah, like I left home at 17 and never looked back. You know, I left the summer right before college and just I had intentions to move back every summer, but I ended up getting a job and moved to a city. I just never went back. And so that's always felt natural. My wife did the same thing. So I think we're open to some flexibility, but like definitely with an end game, right? Like, okay, if you're going to go to trade school and you can't afford it for 18 months or two years, he'll always have a place here. But like for his benefit and our sanity, he's not going to be living here when he's 24. I can guarantee that. So (laughs) there are limits to it. And a lot of that has to do with his plans. And that's part of the tension in the household is he's not really clear. He's a senior in high school. He's not real clear what he wants to do. He does not want to go to a four-year university, at least the first year. He may want to join uh, Air National Guard, like a National Guard service and or do a trade school. He's still figuring that out. So it's hard to have a plan. And my wife and I are very much planners. So that also creates some tension because it's like, sit down, 
figure out what you want to do so that we know what you're going to do. But sometimes you have to have some grace because it just doesn't work that way for some people. Yeah. You've got three at home, right? Yeah. Currently. The interesting thing that you're bringing up is this balance or perhaps it's a dance between structure and independence and how those two, they seem to be linked. If you don't have a ton of structure, there's that person who has no structure. I think that we kind of see perhaps they're not the most independent. So have you seen that evolve? I can't imagine that this has not been the first, let's call it battle of independence. (laughs) It happens in various stages. So have you seen that evolve? And has that gotten any easier or different? Or what's that been like? Yeah, it's just different. Kids have different personalities, right? He's always been the obstinate one, the one who challenges, the one who finds his own way. And so we've kind of grown to expect it. Yet we really try to have healthy boundaries. There is like a rigidity to having healthy boundaries versus working with someone and recognizing how they respond to that. Because, you know what I mean? Like a great example would be like a curfew. Say your curfew is 1130. Natural Dustin once said 1133 when he rolls in to be like, you're late, you're in trouble. Dustin evolved, (laughs) has to realize that he's safe. He made it home. He's a little bit late. And like, maybe remind him gently, but don't make it a big thing because it's really not a big thing. So that's probably like a really good example. You got to have both. How do you balance that though? I would be that guy. It's like, it's not about 1133. It's about the fact that next time it's 1135 and then it's 1145. Cause that's how I was. I would see how much could I push? And I see my four-year-old do it too. It's like, he pushes and then we push back and he's like, okay, there's, there's the limit. There's yeah. the boundary. There's, yeah. the, there's the practical right. reality though. Someone's 18 and you're living under my roof and that whole thing. I think I've actually dealt with this part a little better than my wife. She feels very, she'll say disrespecting, but I think she really feels like she's losing him. It's like, oh, I used to be able to control him, but now he's rejecting that. So I don't know. I mean, this is all pretty new. He turned 18 three weeks ago. That's when some curfews changed. We had a little different setup. He's also got a pretty serious girlfriend. So he really likes to spend a lot of time there, which is almost every curfew issue comes up is sticking around five minutes too long and then rushing home. Um, So it's not as again, like he's out doing drugs and being out driving drunk or anything. As far as I know, he's not doing those things, but it's really just seemingly small issues like that. And if my middle daughter came home three minutes late and I just said, did you check what time it is? She would just start bawling and so apologetic. We'd want to get out of bed the next morning because she feels so bad that she violated a rule. He's never been like that. He's much more, I don't care. I don't care. It's 1133. It's close enough. You know, that sort of thing. So we've learned to kind of pick our battles to not be so rigid because it inevitably creates more problems than it solves. To me, it's just being kind of malleable with someone's personality, but still having limits, but being a little more flexible is where we're at right now. Ask me in six months, that might've changed. Well, I think a good theme that you're bringing up though, is the fact that previous generations of the way that let's call it traditional men or guys or whatever, stereotypically, right? Archetypally was ruling with an iron fist. And it was, you know, this is my home. This is my way. And it seems like that is shifting a bit. But then I also see friends where their parents didn't give them any structure and that caused its own host of problems. So it's kind of navigating this balance. And I guess the problem is it also gets looped in with being traditional. And so anything that is traditional to some people is no good just because it's old, it's no good. Right. We bring up a great point too. I mean, part of what we have to realize is we have our own values. We live in our own household and we do demand that respect. But the vast majority of my kids' peers do not have the same type of structure at home. They don't maybe have a two-parent household for for starters. So they split time between houses, which creates two different dynamics. They're given a lot more independence. So 
their parents don't know whose house they're at. They don't know what time they're coming home or what they're doing there. We have Life360, so we're like, our kids are GPS tagged <laughs> on their phones. So in a lot of ways, I'm sure if you ask them, they would think we're the strictest parents in the history of the world, even though we know we're fairly flexible. We think we are. But yeah, my wife, even in that traditional setting, like she had very strict rules and I was her boyfriend in high school. So I knew I was going to have her home on curfew. There was never going to be a question about that. But then I would leave there and go to a buddy's house, stay up till two in the morning, drinking beer and then sleep at his house. My parents didn't care. So I was very much on the lack of structure side. So that's great. That creates interesting family dynamics because I'm probably tend to be a little more forgiving because I'm like, he's not doing as bad as I was. (laughs) You know, even though I was a good kid and made good grades and all that, like I never actually got in trouble. But I was doing things my parents wouldn't have approved of, but I just was able to do it. Get caught. (laughs) Yeah, I was able to do it without getting caught, whereas he has no chance. Like, (laughs) we know what he's doing pretty much at all times, or at least know where he's at. That's another thing. Now we've got trackers and we've got these watches and all these things to know where they are. I'm a little younger than you, and people that were born before had even less oversight. But I think I was like five or six, and I would walk down the block, and I would be at my friend. You know, it's totally different. And I even had trouble with the first time we had a babysitter come over. And they went to the park and I'm like, I'm looking out the park. I'm like, are they going to come back? Is she going to bring them back? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like, are they going to? And then I realized like, okay, nobody wants these kids. Like, you know, they may look cute, but once they spend time with them, they're going to drop them back off at the the front door. It was definitely a learning for me. And and I'm not necessarily looking forward to the challenges that you speak of when it comes to my daughter and my son. Yeah. I mean, who knows what technology will be then. There's a huge contrast. And like you said, you're younger than me. I'm 43. So I was born in 1979. There's a name for our generations, the split generation, where I spent half my life effectively with very little technology and then half post-internet. I went all the way through high school without a cell phone, without access to the internet. My freshman year of college, I had access to the internet. So all of my like adult life, I've had the internet. I started getting with an iPhone, computers. And so I've literally like seen no technology and all the technology now in my 40s. And I really wish, I mean, there's one thing I could wish around technology. I wish it was not accessible to my kids until they're 16 or something. Because we were like the stricter parents. You can't be on Snapchat until you're 13 or something. That kills their entire social life. Whereas for us, that's way too young, really. But it's kind of the compromise that we make. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff around that and screen time and everything that I think we've done a pretty good job. But I feel like they're going to be less healthy around those things than we were because we didn't have any access to any of it as a kid. And I really am grateful that I grew up without that for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but there's no social media record of my high school uh, days in college. But I spent days out just like in the woods. And I would when I lived in a town, yeah, I would just be gone all day. It's like and people think you're talking about leave it to beaver days. But I mean, this was only the 90s. It wasn't that long ago. And obviously, for their whole childhood, it's been like, I know exactly where you're going. I'm going to walk you there. I'm going to drop you off at the front door. And there's very little independence to just go do stuff and hang out, maybe within the neighborhood a little bit. But not much beyond that, which is really sad, but I think it's still the appropriate thing to do based on how dangerous you know our world can be. So what's interesting is that I'm probably about a little less than 10 years younger than you, but I think that we experienced the same kind of phenomenon. And while we were growing up, it was don't be violent. Any instance of fighting or rough play or shooting, even video games were kind of starting. So it's like if you go and you play a video game or if you fight with your friends, you're going to be some thug or you're going to be some convict (laughs) or it's going to lead to some terrible outcome, right? You're going to be some terrible person because you like to wrestle with your, your buddies. But then I'm realizing that as we're growing up, so many men, they don't know how to properly use that or access it or deal with it and work through it. And so I'm wondering if that's something that you've seen as well, you know, going through and then having a boy come right behind it and seeing how 
those types of really, I think it's like an emotional intelligence problem is really what it leads to. Yeah. And I think we've struck a decent balance. I mean, we definitely did roughhousing and wrestling and my son and his friends would wrestle when they were little and in a fun way. And he's always had sports. And I think that helps be an outlet for some of that teenage rage and just the emotions that come with having hormone changes and stuff. So I think he's okay with that. I think, as you said that, I was thinking there's probably a lot of accuracy in that. And that just, if he does get rage, I don't what's the outlet? I mean, he's never like gotten a fight at school, but he'll certainly probably punch a wall or get irate with someone quicker than he probably should because he's not even aware that there are other ways to let that out and express it. So yeah, that's a really interesting observation. Well, because same thing with my mom. It was never any instance of fighting. I never did any martial arts. I did a lot of sports, you know, a lot of organized sports. But even then, I realized any anger, I would pack down, literally pack it down. It was like, I don't know, some clay that you would just beat down until it just hardened, right? And I started doing some work recently with Front Row Dads, and we went to a retreat, and there was a lot of breath work, and there was just really what it felt like was ripping off the scabs of all these things. And now the emotions are so raw, and you're so present with them. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I've never, anytime I felt this, it was like I had to shove it down. And so now it's coming up. How do we process it? So I <laughs> went and got a punching bag, <laughs> and it's those those types of things. I even worried. I'm like, dang, are they going to think I'm crazy or am I going to look violent? But that is actually the healthiest outlet for me, which is, I think, a shift from what people think. They think, oh, if you act violent, if you punch things, that means that, I don't know, that means something else. Yeah. I think for me as an adult, it's been more like endurance stuff, just going on long runs, really long walks with the rucksack on my back. And maybe it's just the accessibility. I don't have a punching bag or whatever, but if I get frustrated. Well, that squeezing, that sweating, that rigorousness, you know, it feels like I'm wringing out my emotions out of my body, you know? That's interesting. I'll look forward to going to one of those retreats with you at some point. Yeah. Well, the front row dads is... I owe a lot to that. And I think that's also probably maybe something that we can talk about because you've done a lot of work with, if I'm not mistaken, couples and helping people through that. And I think that the big thing that's missing in today's world, especially with guys, is that support system or support group. And you know, a lot of guys get it early on in sports and teams or going into the service and stuff like that. But once you hit real world or you get married, you have kids, you kind of bunker down and you lose that brotherhood or that camaraderie or whatever it is. And I'm curious your thoughts on the power and importance of spaces and communities like that. I think it's the most important outside of my direct relationship with God and my relationship with my wife, my kids, but like outside of the nuclear family, I'm in several, I guess you call them fellowship groups or small groups that mine typically are tied to my faith life. But yeah, I didn't realize how important it was until 2014. And I was going through a lot of changes professionally. And so our youngest would have been four. So this was, I was more like in your, I had three kids, but I was a lot closer to where you're at age wise. And I got invited to this weekend retreat and it was at my church. It was just a guy's retreat. Didn't think that much of it. It was a great experience. It was a great weekend. But then what I didn't know is you got invited back the next week. And then they said, hey, if you feel called, we want you to then prepare this retreat for next year. And so you have a whole year of discernment. Discernment's a whole different beast. I didn't really understand it. So we'd have these long meetings and long discussions and like really trying to feel how we were called to do different things as fathers, as husbands in this group. And there were nine of us that continued on and 
I did formation for a year in that setting. And one of them moved to Texas. He's a deacon. But the other eight of us, before COVID, we met every single month as men and then every other month as couples. We started involving our wives. Then we'd have like our families would get together in the summers. That's broken apart a little bit because of COVID. We couldn't get together and it kind of lost some of its momentum. But we still meet a subset of that group meets every single morning on Fridays. And then the whole group meets usually at least every other month. And that's like a safe space. So I have a group text. I have the Friday mornings. We're constantly, hey, I could use a prayer for this or that. Or I need assistance with this sort of issue. And one of the guys in there, he just turned 70. So I am his son's age. And we have a really cool relationship. I definitely consider him like a father figure and a mentor. I can talk to him about anything. We go to lunch pretty frequently. So having that resource, then having the weekly resource and have a little bit larger group. And then we have a men's morning prayer group that every morning at 6.15, you can hop in on a Zoom call for 15 minutes and we're doing a morning prayer together and we do prayer intentions. I don't know what I would do without that. Honestly, like that's definitely been just a constant place, safe place for me to go. It's been a mix of virtual and in-person depending on the state of the world. But I think that having some kind of small group, I think it's important for women. I think it's especially important for men because I think we tend to isolate. We tend to get lonely and not want to admit it. And we bottle stuff up like you were just describing. And even having just a place to text it out is a big, big help. So Yeah, I think guys, especially, we're problem solvers. We're trying to provide and fix so many times we just keep loading up the pack. We keep loading up the pack and loading it up and loading it up. And that act of releasing it and giving it, like you said, even if it's just a text message to just get it off, that whole sense of getting something off your chest is a very real, real thing. And I think guys, I don't know, we stereotype here, right? It seems like guys keep those things a little closer to the chest, whereas perhaps Perhaps, now we're speaking archetypal and stereotypically, perhaps women feel a little bit more comfortable or maybe culturally more acceptable to share those things. Whereas with guys, it's like we have this facade or we have this mask or we have this whatever it is that we're trying to portray. And so by all of a sudden sharing that we're having problems or struggles or challenges, I think they equate that with worth and value. And all of a sudden, because you're challenged in your marriage or you're struggling with something with your kids or whatever, that all of a sudden it means you're less than. And I don't know if that's the case. Yeah. You mentioned the marriage thing. So yeah, my very first online business was in marriage and it started as a pure marriage ministry through church. And then we get brought it online to kind of modernize it. And so that's 2009, we first brought it online. It's called Engaged Marriage. And over the course of the years, again, I don't think we've done a live in-person. We've done some stuff locally. We haven't done like a true retreat since 2020, but we would every year at least be involved in facilitating retreats and or attending retreats. I have a very vivid memory. One, I think the very first one I went on, I was like, it was probably 2008, 2010, something like that. So we've been married seven or eight years. And we had numerous of these exercises, like it sounds like you experienced in that group with Front Row Dads. But we did one that was real visceral. And it was like basically having a block of wood and like a Sharpie or whatever, and just writing down these hurts or these pains. And like we did a whole meditative thing to really like bring it up. And then it was like, now it's exposed in my mind. Where am I going to put it sort of thing? And we like literally put it on these pieces of wood and then we burn it in a bonfire. And I felt like this deep connection to St. Joseph at that time. So like one of my deep hurts was my dad was an alcoholic, abusive. He uh, really hurt my mom a lot. It was abusive to me too, but he always loved me, but like a really tough relationship. Then they got divorced when I was in high school. They actually got remarried when I was in college. Yeah. So there's a lot of that bottled up for me. And I don't know where all this is going out of the prompt here, but just if you can get yourself in those settings and allow yourself to be vulnerable. So much healing happened in that five minutes. 
So I finally like named it and let it go and burned it and then was able to confess this anger and this, and it, I've never had it since. It literally went away and I didn't even know I had it. <laughs> so I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, we're all have this complicated past, the stuff, and we do tend to bury it, especially as guys, we've never verbalized it. And then someone like channels it through us through however format. I think that physical act of writing it down, acknowledging it and then burning it. I'm done with this, you know, like I'm forgiving him. I'm done. I'm moving on. So I think we can put ourselves in settings like you did with front row dads or like I did in that retreat where you don't even expect it, but we tend to never want to be close to those situations. because I think we're afraid to be exposed and like realize that we actually have weaknesses and things that we're holding on to that we'd rather just not think about. It's not healthy. So, yeah. And it, what's interesting is you said that you didn't even realize it. And I think that that's the big part of these things is and once again, we're generalizing, but we're, I can only speak from a guy's perspective, but from that packing down, you almost pack down and you cover up and you move on. But when you're in those moments and things start to come up, it's revealing. And I'm, I'm curious for you, one thing that's come up and I've been trying to figure out how to address it properly is this idea of like generational trauma. And it's kind of a buzzword. And some people think it's just this idea or like this nebulous thing. And then Dr. Ted Ranson, he was saying that you could actually see that diabetes was not given, but it happened from the grandfather. They could trace it from the grandpa and they could see these connections, these types of things that are happening that seem to be happening in our minds or in our emotions, but that are actually coming up in our bodies. And so where I'm going with this is I'm curious how you've approached trying to undo perhaps the mistakes or the challenges that your father made. You try and do the opposite, right? But I also, I'll posit it with, I'm curious if you found yourself making some of those same mistakes. I was always like, I would never be my dad or (laughs) never. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, I even write like him. Like I remember growing up, I'm like, why do you write in all caps? It's so weird. That's so strange. And now our handwriting is almost identical. It's strange. But I'm curious how that's come up for you. Yeah, that's, I mean, this could be a whole episode. So I'll try to keep it short, but I explained a little bit about who my dad was. And so while he was old, he passed away. He had me quite old. So he was 42. My mom was 24 when they had me and each already had one kid. So I had two half siblings growing up. One was way older, like an uncle and one lived with me until he escaped the house and graduated early to get, go to the Marine Corps. So that was kind of my family dynamic. And so while he was alive, I did forgive him while he was alive, but I didn't really dive into it. I didn't like understand where it came from. His sisters are still alive. And I actually, I've been blessed to spend a lot of time with them. They're in the early eighties, very healthy. And we get together pretty regularly. So they're constantly telling me stories. They're giving me proper context. And I totally believe in generational trauma. His dad was extremely abusive to him and he had crazy bad luck and accidents. He burnt his leg really bad when he was nine years old. He had his testicles ripped off by a combine when he was, because they were farmers, when he was a teenager and they luckily reattached him because now I'm here. Uh, he died three times in his lifetime from both wrecks and sewer trench. My dad lived through a lot of trauma. So then whenever I come into the world when he's in his 40s, most of the stuff's already happened. It just gave me this, oh, that makes sense. He dealt with a lot of crap. So, <laughs> And he didn't have a healthy way to express it. And they said he started smoking. He was like 10. He started drinking. He was like 10. He was the older child. So he was the one that took all the the sins of the father, you know, and his dad killed himself too. His dad hung himself in the barn. This was after he was out of the house. So who knows what his dad dealt with because that goes too far back and we don't really have a lot of insight. And that's just on my dad's side. My mom's side is actually more messed up than that. So there's a lot of this craziness that came down into my generation, my two half brothers. And 
the one half brother I'm not that close with. He seems to have a pretty normal family life from what I can tell. But the other one that I did grow up with has had a lot of problems. Not that I haven't had problems, but I feel extremely blessed to, I hope it's breaking the cycle. I can't explain. I will say I've had very conscious things that happened in high school where I was extremely relieved when my parents got divorced because I felt like it was a trap. I was like, why would my mom stay with him? He's horrible. He's treating her horribly. What I saw though, is she did finally have the courage to make that decision. He actually got sober at that point. It was like his rock bottom moment. He's like, he never thought she'd really leave him. Then she did. And I started, I alluded to this earlier. So when I was almost a sophomore in high school, they got divorced. I just started dating my now wife at that time. So we were still dating all through. And then my sophomore year of college, I get a phone call that I knew they'd been talking, that they were getting back together because he had sobered up. And so my now wife and I were their attendants at their remarriage at the courthouse steps. And they went on to lead a pretty normal life, you know, for like 20 years after that until he passed away. So I've seen, I've got knowledge of like the generational trauma that really triggered that in him. I don't know what broke it for the most part. I honestly give a lot of credit to my wife and her parents and the model they showed me. Like I had a new model once I met her in high school. I always had good grades. But I got taken to jail when I was in sixth grade. I had a lot of close calls. My life could have taken a very different turn with girls and substances and stuff. Luckily, I avoided that. Like I skidded by it enough till I met Bethany, my now wife. Then I met her parents. They brought me into the Christian faith. They changed my whole life. And so I give them a lot of credit. But that was all happening. Like when my parents got divorced, it's like, I don't know. I feel like I was just blessed to have a change maker in my life at the time that I was going here or there. And luckily, I was able to take a better path. There's a lot there. And I definitely believe in the generational trauma thing. I don't know the key to fixing it or breaking that cycle other than if someone can be conscious of it and like actually find some better examples and better mentors that can make a huge difference. So I try to be a mentor to a lot of people because I feel like I have a chance of helping, even if I don't know the depth of what they might be dealing with. Yeah. Well, context and understanding, compassion, I think is so important. My dad, unfortunately, has been brought up a lot on these conversations. I love him. He did his absolute best to be the best dad that he can. But similarly, you know, I look at what he went through and the type of dad that he had. And it's like, how could I expect anything different? Of course, it's possible that maybe he all of a sudden found some newfound wisdom or he was the one out of a thousand guys that would choose to act this way because of some divine intervention. But otherwise, he was doing what he knew. And I think that awareness that if we can say and have compassion and understanding that that's not the way it is or it has to be, but that's the way that it was for them, I think it gives us a little bit more permission perhaps to go like, okay, well, we can do it differently. Or We're not at the mercy of that trauma. We can kind of step back. And hopefully we have better tools. We have the benefits of technology and like people being open to going to therapy. We have things like retreats and small groups and we have front row dads. Like we have places to at least go access some resources and help that like, I don't know where the heck my dad would have went. In a little farm town in the middle of nowhere, he probably went to some AA meetings occasionally, but it's not like there's this readily available help. So he would just turn to his own devices, his own devils. I feel like I've had better mentorship and family and people in my faith life that have been able to process things a lot more healthy than I would have in his generation or in his location too. So Right. Yeah. So many more resources that are available. I'm curious for you, are there any habits, rituals, routines? You mentioned having a community and staying involved with your fellowship. Are there any other things like that that help you to stay grounded, to stay let's put grounded because I think that's probably the best word that I can come up with. Yeah. I mean, something that certainly I've been perfect with, but that 
it's the basis of what engaged marriage was about. I wrote a book called 15 Minute Marriage Makeover. And the whole idea was if you can just hold sacred a 15 minute period of every day to spend quality time with your spouse, it's a total game changer. And so we've done a really good job of that. It hasn't been perfect and it's changed beyond the ages of the kids. It used to be like maybe in the morning, right after they go to school, before we did our own things. Now it's usually in the evenings. And it's not formal, of course, anymore. No devices, no TV, no kids. And we just have some time to like really unpack how was your day, what's on your mind. Sometimes we'll talk about a vacation or like it just gives us space. And so I think that's been a healthy. So we had a lot of struggles the first five years of our marriage around communication because I was really bad at it. We had financial struggles that probably stemmed from that. Ironically, no one knew we were dealing with this. We got asked to go to that first marriage retreat that I described earlier. And then I met a guy there who told me this 15 minutes quality time every day. He called it couple time, 15 minutes, a couple time every day. I'm like, what does that look like? And he don't have any good answers. So that's actually the book is I'm an engineer by trade. So <laughs> it's like a 28 day plan of what to do for 15 minutes every day with your spouse and it's communication, sex and intimacy, romance and money. So it's like a week of each. That's what we did. I mean, I just created this plan. We followed it. And then of course it gets more casual over time. But I'd say that's probably the best ritual I've made for my marriage. And that's been going for 20 years, something like that, 18 years. So that's been really good. Yeah. Other than that, I have a lot of personal routines, morning journaling, reading every morning, exercising every morning that keeps me personally, physically, and mentally as healthy as I can be. Nothing to the extreme, but yeah, I would say relationally, that's a big one. The other thing we always done with our kids, it's a little harder now if they're rolling in past their curfew, but <laughs> we try to say a prayer with them each night at bed and we individually go to them and ask them for three things that they're grateful for for the day. We've done that since they were like infants, so or since they could speak. So I think that's set a really healthy precedent because it makes them have a gratitude practice, even though, and it helps us know what's going on in their life sometimes in a place where maybe they wouldn't say it at the dinner table. They may say, oh, I'm thankful that so-and-so had this event at school and came out safe or that sort of stuff. So yeah, those are ones that come to mind. Yeah. I think part of the challenge that men face is that they have to give themselves structure. We talked about the structure thing and especially working from home, being an entrepreneur, it's the absence of structure. Whereas if you look at what a man might have had to do generations before, there was no deliberating. There was no debate. You got up and you went out and you hunted or you farmed or you worked. You got up. There was a routine. And I think in that routine, they don't have as much independence. That structure provided something that all of a sudden when you remove that structure, now men aren't as grounded. Men aren't as whatever. But the idea of having a routine and working out, and I think that just does so much for someone's mental health that now they can show up and be a better dad or be a better husband or be a better entrepreneur or leader or whatever it is simply because they establish those routines or those practices for themselves. Yeah, I think that's true. When you think back just a generation or two back, I mean, usually the man was leaving, doing something physical most of the day and then coming home and it was dark and it's like, well, I'm hanging out with my family because like, what else am I going to do? <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, you're right. Like I work from home. I mean, if you're watching the video, right, there's my kitchen. So it's very tempting to always be on the clock. I joke with my kids that like, when do you have a vacation? I'm like, I'm, every day is a vacation and no days are vacations. Like I don't get any holidays. I think every day is a holiday because it doesn't make any difference, right? Like I don't get paid for them unless I'm producing. That's definitely my natural temptation is to work too much. Again, that's been a top issue in our marriage over the years. It's my wife's love language is quality time. So if she's sitting in there and I'm in here till eight o'clock because I'm working on a project, if I communicate it, it's fine. If it's not multiple days, but if I don't, 
and I walk out and I don't realize it's eight o'clock, I'm going to get kind of a cold shoulder attitude and rightfully so because I didn't establish healthy boundaries. But yeah, that's a major one now. Many of us are working remotely too. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring up the love languages. We're going through a shift. It's been really interesting. My wife was big on quality time. Here's actually a funny story. It's not actually relevant, but I'll share with you. I remember the first time we were with a group of friends and we were talking about the love languages and I said, do you like gifts? Do you enjoy gifts? And she's, and we just started dating. So she didn't want to seem pretentious, whatever. So she's like, no, I don't like gifts at all. And we we're like, okay, got it. Noted. Got it. Like in the register bank, <laughs> not a gifts person. Okay, don't get gifts. And, you know, we're going on and months go by and I'm like, things aren't working. And she's like, why won't you just get me flowers? I'm like, but you said you didn't like, <laughs> you didn't like gifts. <laughs> and then uh, even that has shifted and adjusted over time after kids and all these kinds of things. It's a game that I think causes men to elevate themselves because now we're more dynamic. We're more evolved. But I think at that same rate, we can't look to what previous generations did or the models that they had and say that, well, that's how they did it. You know, my dad came home and kicked up his feet on the couch and watched TV all night for the rest of the night as my mom was sweeping underneath his feet right. and moving with, stuff with around. Down a, be- a cold beer so we could chill out. And if I ever even just propose that today, <laughs> I, I would get that cold. You know, there's an evolution that I think is good for men, but also If we're not aware of it or conscious of the changing things, then I think it can create some resentment. Yeah. Are you familiar with the theology of the body? I'll go a little deep with you here for a second. No, no. Theology of the body. So we're Catholic and it's taught outside of Catholic circles because it's natural law. But Pope John Paul II, who's now a saint, so like he wrote it. It was a series of speeches through the 70s and 80s. It was like his life's work. Basically, it's this really interesting way of expressing natural law and creation in the sense of this relationship between masculinity and femininity, so male and female. And he describes so articulately how we are naturally inclined to be different, but complementary, not only sexually, of course, but in how we show up, hunters and gatherers and nurturers and all these terms that people today would call stereotypical. And I know it's modern masculinity, but I think the idea of masculinity is not a changing term. I think It's naturally how we're made, but the environment we get to express it in, of course, evolves over time. So it's much different in the 1300s than early 1900s to 2023, but we are still naturally, as guys, we're still masculine creatures. And we've already talked about some of the challenges in this modern time of how to express that. And that was always a common theme in these marriage retreats is getting each of the spouses who maybe... One was a little more feminist, or maybe he didn't like that being labeled as masculine. But it's like, dude, this is not a negative term. It's literally just your biology and how you're created. Women can be more masculine, but it's still the reason you would express it like that because there's masculine traits and feminine traits. But there's this really neat interplay when you look at creation and the relationships that we have with our spouses. You could study it, but literally people get PhDs in it. It's a very advanced thing, but at the core, it's just this simple idea that we are made complementary, men and women, masculine, feminine, and that that's a very good thing and that we shouldn't try to change what it means and let culture break that down completely. So given it's in the name of the show, I was like, I feel like I should say that because that was a huge game changer in our marriage. Whenever we looked at it through that perspective, it really helped me understand my wife way better. You don't choose, this is like naturally how you're made. You don't choose some of these things that maybe frustrate me. And likewise, I don't like to talk as much as you that's a masculine trait. Like I have less words per day in my brain than you do because that's how you're made because you're made to be a community. I'm made to be in more of an isolation and like going out on my own and pursuing things in adventure. Those are natural inclinations. There's nothing wrong with them. And I feel like that's a big part of where some of us get frustrated in culture 
it's like toxic masculinity. You know what I mean? It's like, what does that mean? It seems like an unfair label for someone who's just living within the bounds of the culture, doing it in a healthy way, but someone else wants to label it as toxic to them. So that's my rant for the episode. Well, I want you to share where people can get connected and everything that you've got going on. But I think this is a perfect segue to my last question to you, which is feel free to expand or repeat whatever it is that you may, but what does modern masculinity mean to you? It's a great term. I love the title. To me, it is remaining masculine and not giving up what it means to be a man, but doing it in a modern way, which means, again, without sacrificing what this means, doing it in a way that's respectful and fits within modern society. Because again, it's not the 1800s. We have to show up differently in our families and with our spouses and the way that we do work based on technology and the way that we live. So I think healthy, modern masculinity is having the best of both worlds. It's like embracing the good things about the modern times and the culture and the technology and the tools that we have, but not forgetting that we're still men and we have a masculine side to us that needs to be expressed and not repressed because when it's repressed is when you see most of the problems that we deal with in our society in general, because a lot of them are generated by men. So I think if we can have a healthy expression of our masculinity in these resources, small groups, punching bags, whatever that looks like, I think that that's really, really important. But I think the two can be married. And I think that's really what we need to be striving for today. Keeping what was great and what is good about it and evolving and adjusting to fit into times, not throwing it out because... Yeah, don't make masculinity a dirty word. Right, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Dustin, where can uh, people go to get connected with you? I know you've got a few things going on. So anything that you want to share about any projects or opportunities that people might have to go deeper with you? Sure. Yeah. Like my business home base is called Simple Success Coaching. So I do business coaching over there and help a lot of entrepreneurs grow their businesses online. Simple Success Coaching. And then the other place I'm really active is LinkedIn. And I have a very unique name. So that's just Dustin and then Reekman, which is R-I-E-C-H-M-A-N-N. So if you guys are listening and you're on LinkedIn, I'd love to connect over there. And I post every day and have lots of great conversations with people on there. Sweet. Guys, go get connected. And as always, we appreciate you being here and a part of the Modern Masculinity fam. See you later, y'all. If iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. But if you're a man and you're alone or listening to this, then who sharpens you? What's going on, guys? Ted Thayton here, host of the Modern Man Podcast, also founder of the Noble Knights Mastermind Group. And I'm just out here encouraging you to find your circle. Maybe you're on a personal growth journey and nobody around you understands the new mentality that you're possessing. That's okay. You can find an online community that will pour into you will navigate your goals and navigate your obstacles, share their experiences, resources, and more. Join the Noble Knights Mastermind Group and try us out for free to tap into a community of men helping each other scale up and reach their goals. Check out themodernmanpodcast.com.